Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Lowe. And if this is your first episode and you're wondering what this whole thing is all about, well, I'll tell you. Every week, I find my head surgically attached to the body of a different friend and cinephile. Together, we are given a note containing a theme, sometimes specific and sometimes vague. Our job is then to pick a pair of movies that fit that theme and then watch and discuss. This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. everybody welcome back welcome back to another week another episode another guest host body and this time our guest host body is another familiar face returning for i believe the third time we have zeke perez zeke how's it going hey i'm doing good how are you doing good good how have, how have you been doing this last uh, couple of weeks hanging in there you know it's allergy season for me right here so hanging in there as best i can but other than that things are going good I know through your job, you have a little bit of an, a venue or an outlet for live music. Have you have you been seeing anything good lately? Uh, you know, I've been seeing a lot of really great night bands, but, uh, you know, we're just itching to get actual show shows uh, started soon. So, you know, hopefully that comes sooner than later. But, you know, just uh, listening to more music on records and uh, streaming. Other than that, you know, things have been really good. Yeah, I've been doing this thing this year. I know you're a big music guy. Uh, I've been doing this thing and, and talking to you a little bit about it, where I've been listening to a new album every day. Every day. It's got to be an album that's been released this year. And it is impossible to keep up. At first, I was looking at it, and I was just following on Wikipedia. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be easy. I'll keep up with everything. And then I started going to Bandcamp and Album of the Year. <laughs> and there are days where there's several hundred releases. And it's counting stuff in, you know, um, Thursdays, I think, are really big for, I can't remember which day it is, but really big for like Korean and Asian releases. And of course, yeah, our, Thursday our and Fridays. Fridays are big release days all around the world. Uh, well, there's one day of the week, and I'm, I'm an idiot right now for not remembering it, where I, I just go on and I look up what new albums come out, and it's like a couple of dozen uh, K pop bands. And, yep, Thursday. Yep, Thursday. Okay. <laughs> But this week, this week's Thursday, or last week's Thursday, I guess by the time we're, we're airing this episode, there was a new Nick Cave and a new King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard album came out. Yeah, two big Australian bands, big Australian bands. Yeah, which is uh, a little bit appropriate for our episode today, because <laughs> those, those, two, those two were my uh, album of the day. I'm, I'm trying to focus on bands that I am not familiar with, but every once in a while I'll be excited to see a release and so i'll listen to it but i'm i'm really trying to go to like like i said band camp and find these bands i don't know anything about yeah i've been this whole entire year i've been spending a lot of time on band camp in fact you kind of inspired me to try to find out a new album of the day and it just got so overwhelming i had to stop so all the more you know positive to you for doing it because it was a lot i'll just say well i'll just say i don't do a lot of research I go and I'm like, I, I'm very shallow. I go, I'm like, oh, I like the name of that band or, oh, that's a really cool cover. And I will just, I, I'll, I'll, 
I'll maybe give myself a couple of mulligans. Like if I am not feeling an album after the second song, I'll sometimes allow myself to go back. But normally I just like pick something and I stick with it. And that's what I listen to while I'm making breakfast in the morning. And oh, so nice, nice. It, it, it's easy to keep up that way because I'm, I'm not like carving out time to go listen. I'm just doing it while I'm going about my morning ritual. Yeah, I'm, I'm carve. I, I try to carve out time. Not, not, not huh. a good thing to do. Well, I'm trying to keep track. I'm keeping a list. There's some, some that I really like that I've gone in to, to look back on. There's a lot that I'm like, I don't need to listen to this again. But yeah, I, I'm I'm really getting into like using Bandcamp and just finding artists that way. And I'm kind of like like oh, the first Friday of every month, if I want to buy something, because then all the the profits go to the the band. Exactly, itself. all the profits go to the bands. I was actually I have a little bit of a list, like maybe three or four bands to pick up stuff. You know, just like little like five dollar albums here and there on this Friday. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Kind of also in in line with the movies that we're going to be discussing today uh amber and i have just finished before we started recording earlier today we finished wellington paranormal season two. Oh, how was that it's really fun like i'm gonna say i i like what we do in the shadows the fx series better i think that has a bigger laugh out loud per episode quota mm-hmm. but I really like the characters in Wellington Paranormal and it's, it's pretty low key and it, it's just like, it, it's very pleasant. Like it, it's, it's kind of a satisfying format. Like it's basically a cop show that becomes paranormal every episode. And <laughs> it's, it, for those who don't know, it's the New Zealand spinoff of the, what we do in the shadows movie. Uh, the, there's a couple of cops that show up in that movie and they made a, a TV show in, in New Zealand which I guess is going to be coming to America soon, or at least streaming in America soon. But we, we Yeah, I think they're streaming it pretty soon in uh, maybe a couple months. Yeah, we ordered the DVDs from New Zealand because we didn't, Mm -hmm. it was before they'd announced that. And we were, we just really wanted to see it. Uh, But then they announced that they had like some contractual reasons they couldn't show it in America. Something to do with FX, like FX said, you can't, you can't distribute this in America for X amount of time while we're airing what we do in the shadows, but now they can. So they're, they're in a deal with some streaming service. I'm not sure where it's going to land. Cool. But, yeah. I'll be on the lookout for it. I heard uh, it's coming. I just didn't know where. Yeah. I'm not sure where either. And season three just started and we're like, Oh, how can we get our hands on that? <laughs> we'll just, we'll, uh, cause we really want to watch season three as it's airing. I think, I think episode two is tomorrow. I didn't even know they're in season two. I mean, I, I I didn't even know they're in season three. Yeah, yeah, just currently airing. Uh, so we've been dancing around our theme here, and our theme, which we've already picked the movies for, but we'll we'll just share with you what our note was. Our theme is Eastbound and Down Under. So what does that mean? Well, if you've seen the episode title, you know what it is. You've seen what the movies are we are discussing. Just bear with us here. Listen to one of the trailers. We'll be back to discuss the first movie. Tonga, a small island somewhere in the Pacific Rim. Ninja, a warrior trained in the art of ninjutsu. Mr. Big is very sorry to hear about your uncle's accident. They're a bunch of mean, nasty, horrible guys. She's going to be trouble. Only one Tongan can save her. Sioni. I am the PI that you sent for. PI, the private investigator. 
No, the Pacific Islander. Hunted by his arch nemesis. Marvin. The name Marvin no longer means anything to me. I am Action Fighter. I hear you're good with guns. I'm not just good, I'm the best. Really? I hear you're good. Finally, a motion picture that combines the martial arts splendor of the Rocky Horror Picture Show with the musical magic of Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon. Sometimes when life kicks you in the ass, you've got to grab life by the ass and kick it right back. If you see one ninja film this year with a Tongan in it... Olive Tongan knows my name. Tongan Ninja. The story is told where the sand is gold and is never cold. The tale of the Tongan Ninja. The Tongan Ninja. Feet so fast like a dynamite blast stepped on your ass. Talking about the Tongan Ninja. The Tongan Ninja. One day he went swimming with his father. But his father was eaten by piranhas. They ate him like weed bananas. But then a wham and a pow, see on if now survived somehow. And a whack and a bam swam back to the land and was found by the hand of Mr. Mugasaki, who trained him in ninja so he could kick him punch a flip to so because he was a tongue and he was a ninja, he adopted the name. The Tongue Ninja. Tongan Ninja is a 2002 martial arts parody from New Zealand, most notable these days for co-starring and being co-written by Jermaine Clement, one half of Flight of the Concords. After his father's plane crashes in the Polynesian archipelago of Tonga, Sioni is raised by Master Magasaki to become the Tongan Ninja. As an adult, he is sent to New Zealand to help Master Magasaki's brother defend his restaurant against the criminal syndicate of Mr. Big. This is a movie I had seen before. Uh, I rented it probably a decade or so ago. And I kind of remembered thinking it was it was amusing. Um, my partner Amber really remembered liking this movie. And so I, I thought this would be a great one if we're doing this kind of East meets West martial arts thing. I, I know we haven't talked too much about this, but I know you liked this movie. I'm going to come right out and kind of say I don't like this. It, it just didn't live up for what I remembered. And I remember thinking that it wasn't like the best thing, but I remembered liking enough of it. And and this time around, there are certainly moments that I still found charming. There's certainly moments I still laughed out loud at, but overall, man, I, I this is going to be interesting because I, 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 I have a feeling you like it more than me. And I don't really want to be too down on this because this is a very handmade movie. It is, yes, yes. It's it, very, it, it's very, uh, it's very handmade. Very handmade, we'll just say. Yeah, it, it's got, it's got a bit of a budget and a little bit of resources, but it does basically feel like one step above a group of friends just making a movie in their backyard. So exactly. And, and a lot of these people went on to such great work that I don't really want to judge this too harshly. It was just, you know, they're young, they're working their they're working their sense of humor out. 
it is what it is. We'll talk about it. Yes. So I hadn't seen this before. And, you know, you really pegged on a word with the description, even though, you know, how you, fe- you feel a certain way about it right now. But you did use a one word to describe a lot about it, which is charming. And that's really what I latched on to this film. It's it's not the funniest film. It's not the best film. But you could just tell the love of martial art films that these people had making it and just having fun with it, that it just kind of seeped out into the film itself. There's a lot of issues with the film, you know, they're like, you know, we've talked briefly about it, but there are a lot of, I guess you could say questionable accents, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was going yeah. to mention it. Yeah. We, we have to mention it. questionable accents as well as portrayals where you know, I could have, I, I do have issues with those, but at the same time, too, it's when you're making a parody and a satire or something, they're taking it to that level where it's everything is a joke. So they're making fun of almost everything in this film. There's nothing really off of bounds. You know, uh, it's it's done almost to be made fun of. It's it's a it's really a parody, correct? It is. There is an important distinction that this is a parody of English dubbed martial arts movies. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily parodying the martial arts movies themselves, but it's the way the dubbing are, of yeah, the way they are presented to uh, Western audiences. And, and and you know, it's there's we'll we'll get into it, but you know, it's that they use that parody of a dubbed martial arts film. And they run with it. I mean, really, you know, there's there's even a whole fight scene involving a microphone boom, which I was watching at first and I was cracking up because it's like obviously a dubbed film. And you see this boom come down every once in a while and eventually they use the boom as a weapon. And I thought that was just, you know, it's it's something that I remember when I was getting into martial arts films, when I was in my early teens, high school if I were to make something funny with my friends, this is what it would have been. As juvenile as it is, it, that's kind of what we would think would be funny. Yeah, I will say that this movie definitely hits different now. Yeah. I mean, it hits me as, as like a white guy differently now than it maybe would have. But I can't say that it wouldn't have struck, you know, because I'm not being affected by the kind of stereotypical portrayals in this movie and we we've got to kind of like narrow down on that because i don't think i don't think this movie is hateful part of it is yes just everything is a joke everything is is meant to be a parody of how these movies are presented to westerners so there's a little bit of of kind of um non-pc portrayals in that yes part of it also there's a there's the workers at the restaurant, Uncle Lee's restaurant, and they're all white guys, but well, they're all white guys. They have Chinese names. They talk about how Uncle Lee adopted them and brought them over from Shanghai, I think he says. I can't remember where. Yeah, Shanghai, if I recall. And and the joke is that there's it's just all the it's these white guys that are playing the role. And that is kind of funny, but also you can think like, okay, there's not too many Asian people in this movie because it's clearly people like getting their friends and a lot of the people in this movie have never acted again this is clearly they they were just hanging out with their buddies right making this movie so on one level you can you can say that maybe explains and possibly forgives the lack of representation in this movie but then 
you have the fact that a lot of the Asian characters are dubbed by white actors, and some of them are given very broad accents. <laughs> yeah, 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 that, that is an issue. But at the same time, they give everybody that treatment. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult because there's only, because of the lack of representation, there are very few Asian people in this film. So it, I think of it less as as them overdubbing those particular people, more as just how they dub everybody. Yeah, and they, they particularly go over the top with with their characterizations, for lots of better words. Well, they don't they don't dub most of the white or even um, like some of the other non Asian actors. A lot of them don't get dubbed over. The Tongan Ninja who yeah. I, I believe is of Maori descent, Sam Manu, he he gets dubbed over yes. by Jermaine Clement. But Jermaine Clement also does... Who the also of, overdubs of himself, right? Yeah, well, he does his own voice. Obviously, he's doing, like, funny voices. And his, his voice is very good for what he does, but it, it just kind of, like, in 2002, I don't know how this like i don't know that this would have been seen as any any d issue at all but now in 2021 especially when i mean not to get too down and bring the real world into it but especially in a time when we're seeing so much more anti-asian racism and sentiment in this country it it struck in a way they certainly did not intend yeah yeah of course you know it's taking what's going on in this world today it definitely has more of a malicious tone if they were to film this and put this out today, I would have more issues about it, you know, but since I know it comes from about, you know, it's, it comes from, you know, I see a lot of these people right now in their lives, more of my peers regarding age, you know, we're all around the same age. And when I think back to 20 plus years ago, you know, kind of what I was doing over in high school, you know, a lot of it was kind of ignorant, dumb things. You know, I hadn't yet seen the world. I hadn't traveled. I hadn't experienced other anything other than what I was experiencing at the time. I still had a lot of growth to do, you know, and I I would like to attribute, maybe it's just me looking at the world with rose-tinted glasses, but I'd like to attribute a lot of that to that kind of naive ignorance, I guess you could say. It oh, doesn't yeah, this is a bunch of like yeah. this is a bunch of young kids kind of starting out. I believe they were all in their in their 20s at least but still they're just starting out i will say that the part that really do, uh, like put me over the edge into thinking like oh no this isn't okay is there is a scene where the tongan ninja has to sneak onto a boat to get to new zealand and the people on the, the longshoremen the dock workers are speaking in i'm not I, i'm not even going to do an approximation of it but it is the type of nonsense sounds that people make when they're making doing racist chinese speak it's like there's yeah. no other way around it it is just nonsense words nonsense sounds and that was like oh that's not cool <laughs> but there's a difference between that like satire to make a point and this movie which is just trying to be silly like they, i i don't think they're trying to make yeah. a point with any of it i think it's just they weren't thinking about it or it was accidental 
And I don't want to make too big a deal. I don't want to get hung up on this aspect of the movie because it's clearly unintentional. It is clearly not what the movie is trying to say or do. And I do believe if they made this movie now, that stuff would not it be. It wouldn't do the same things. No. Oh, completely. They would not do the same things. And this is the thing too, is, is that I know the people who they are now are like to think they, I know who the people who they are now, you know, they would be more cautious about making jokes and, uh, appropriations like that. Uh, we, we've kind of talked about Jermaine Clement in this. He, you know, as the co-writer, he also plays Marvin. Well, he doesn't play Marvin. He plays action fighter who yes. is Marvin. Because <laughs> Marvin, the only time he, that character is called Marvin is when he's a kid. And he is the shittiest little kid I've he ever is... seen in a movie. So I had to explain to my my son, he came up to me while we, I was watching the intro for this, and he wasn't listening to it because I was listening with headphones. And he's like, "Hey, Dad, why is that kid so bad? Why is that kid cutting the wire? Why is that kid doing these things? That, this is not a good kid." No. And even without hearing what he was doing, my son knew this is just an awful, awful kid. Marvin's Marvin's horrible. Yeah, because he's kicking the back of the seat of Sioni when they're in the plane because they're all on the plane together they're transporting bananas back to New Zealand I think and Marvin just grabs a knife and he starts cutting electrical wires in the plane until the plane starts to crash and then once the plane crashes Sioni is hanging from his um his parachute upside down and Marvin is just standing there punching him like he's going he's punching him and he swings back and he comes back and he punches him again at this point the dad is still alive and he's trying to take them to safety and they're crossing a river and these piranha come up and like Marvin is being carried across the river and he's kind of laughing and he's making fun of him for getting eaten by a fish. And it's, that's how he dies is he gets eaten by a fish, right? Well, yeah. by a piranha. And he's just like the worst, the worst. And they grow up together in this temple, uh, this dojo run by um, uh, Master Magasaki, uh, played by Charles Lum. Then it cuts to, then it goes to a very James Bond style opening theme. Not the music. The music cannot really James Bond. It's a little bit like disco Elvis, but I think it's supposed to be kind of like that colorful dancing and, uh, you know, dancing women opening credit sequence. Yeah. Which, which you have a lot of in this film. It has that kind of like flashy theme song, you know, yeah. whether it's, you know, that's, that, I think that's a, a theme with this movie is kind of like, I mean, action hero theme song. So it starts off with Tongan Ninja theme song. From the Tongan Ninja, it goes into other people throughout the movie, like uh, Knife Man and Gun Man and Action Man. Yeah, it, the music in this is also written with, and performed by Jermaine Clement and Brett McKenzie. So it, it's basically Flight of the Concords did the soundtrack. Or not the yeah. soundtrack, but the songs. And the songs are great. There's some really good music yeah, really silly songs and but then they also have uh like i was surprised watching it this time i'm like oh wow they had a they had a um bg's cover yeah it says here it's sung by luma patea oh uh, okay i thought it was the fly of the conquer guys no no and there's another song I, I can't remember that shows up later that's not a brett or jermaine song i can't remember what it was i really like the songs that they do there's a really I think my favorite one, aside from the theme song, the Tongan Ninja, is the one at the when they get to the Chinese restaurant, 
Oh, where the yeah, yeah, they're going to serve the guy. Yeah. And I I really like that. That's a catchy number. And it also has a Taika Waititi cameo in it. Yeah, you know, I had to do a double take when I saw it. He actually shows up as one of the two chefs, right? Yeah, he's doing a little robot in front of a big pot. Yeah, yeah. And I was actually, after seeing him, like, well, that, that, that's Taika. I was kind of looking for him the, the rest of the film, thinking he would show up again. And he doesn't. No, but he does. He does do a voice. Uh, what he, voice does he do? Because I was trying to, to listen for that voice. It was, uh, you know, I looked it up on IMDb after I, I saw does, him. He does one of the henchmen, but I could not tell you which one. <laughs> like oh, I could, okay, I could yeah. find the name, but I wouldn't be able to pick out which one it was. Because I, like, I saw this, I watched this again this time on YouTube. Uh, I Oh, he, he does the voice of Graham the henchman. But I, oh, I, don't know, I don't remember which henchman that, that Graham is. I don't either. Because I watched this on DVD the first time. And then this time I watched it on YouTube. And that quality on YouTube is not very good. No, no. And so there was a lot that I couldn't. I, I had to. I watched it twice, actually, because the first time I was having a little trouble hearing. And so I watched mm-hmm. it a second time with headphones on. Like the, the video quality is it's OK. Like it's one of those things where like if you're on if you're on your phone or maybe even your laptop, it'll look fine. But if you try to put it on your TV, it's just going to be nothing but pixels almost. Yeah, I, I made that mistake and I had to switch over to my phone. Yeah, which I, I mean, I hate I, that we, we have to say that maybe if we were watching this uh, in a good print on a bigger TV, it would be better. Maybe. Yeah. But because I, I do think. I mean, clearly the action there, none of these people actually know karate <laughs> or kung fu. <laughs> yeah, and that actually brings me up to a point, too. I won't want to get to, but you keep on going, keep on going. Oh, I was going to say the the action is fun, the way it's shot. Like, there's a fight near the end with, um, uh, with the Tongan ninja and action fighter, who is Jermaine Clement, and... It, they're on kind of they're on not not kind of a roof but kind of a little bit of a um a raised and elevated it's fence. like a dice yeah, yeah okay it's, it's, it's yeah and the camera is below them so a lot of it is sky like a very dynamic sky and the clouds are moving so quickly and really deep blue and the way that they're fighting and it's framed you see them moving and you see them hitting, but you 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 kind of don't see when the hit would land. And you could think like, oh, that's disappointing, but it still looks cool. And because you know these people aren't really fighting, like they're they're not real stuntmen or whatever, it, it's just like a really clever way to frame it. So I, and you mentioned the boom mic, like the boom mic keeps yeah. coming in and he just like thinks like, oh, and grabs it to use as a weapon. Yeah, like, during the fight with, uh, it's gunman, right? Gunman. Yeah, yeah. And he, uh, you keep seeing the boom come down and you know, first thing it's a joke because this movie is horribly dubbed, you know, haha, there's the boom mic in the movie. And then after maybe about maybe 30 seconds of it showing up, he, he finally uses it as a weapon against gunman. Yeah. And so I'm saying like this film does have in, uh, interesting visuals at time, like, maybe a cleaner print would make me like this movie better because there are parts of it that look really good. And New Zealand, it is impossible to film New Zealand without making it look good, I think. Yeah, New Zealand's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful place. 
one of the things he brought up is is how it's filmed. And one thing which I really enjoyed about this is the editing and the pacing of the film, because these people, they don't know martial arts. And there are very, you know, distinct fight scenes where it's pulled off in such a way with camera angles as well as editing and cutting and pacing in such a way that it still seems exciting and fun. You know, it's, um, you know, there's, they make a, they make a joke of it earlier where the Tongan ninja goes outside and says, okay, I'm going to kick these convenient bricks we have lying around here. And he gets everything set up. And then right before he's about to kick him, it cuts and it cuts to like, oh, it gets interrupted by another action scene. But it's done in such a way that that cutting in the editing, it's always, you always see the fight right before someone makes contact. You always see the fight right up until X point. And it does it in such a way so it still feels fun, but it's not showing, it's, um, it's making, it's, it's edited and filmed in such a way so that everybody looks good at what they're doing, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does make sense. And this really does feel like you, you said it earlier and I have to agree the type of thing that I would have made with my friends in college when we were watching, like I was in Kung Fu at the time. Um, I was in a, a Kung Fu school and all of my friends were there. We were going to college. We were exercising out like on the mountain all the time. And I, we would talk about like wanting to do something like this and uh, like, gosh, it, it does really feel like something I would do back in the nineties as well, which I think yeah, is, it's, it's a fun film, you know, this, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it, the representation sometimes are questionable, but in the end you, you always come it all, you get this sense of joy and fun that these people had while making this film come through. And that's one of the things I really, really liked about this film was that you felt that you felt that, you felt that enjoyment and you felt that fun. You felt that kind of energy that you get when you're doing something with the people and friends you care about. And that really came through through the film for me. And that's one of the things which I loved about this film. It just felt very, it felt very, um, it felt very innocent in how it was the energy that it was giving out. Yeah, I, I, I'll agree with that. Like we, we talked about the representation. I want to just say that it doesn't feel like it just feels like ill-considered it doesn't feel like the... yeah it, it feels it, it's just it, it feels ignorant but yeah. ignorant in the in the most innocent sense or maybe not even ignorant but just like well yeah ignorant <laughs> but i'm just saying yeah. like 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 it's what they were seeing in these films and just figured like oh we're parrying this we're going to do this and maybe they they shouldn't have but yeah yeah they, they, they shouldn't have but you know it's it, you could see it comes from a place of of love some of the bits that I liked in this, I really liked how the bad guys, particularly Mr. Big, would always swear profusely, <laughs> but, but self-censored. Like they, self-censored. they never said the word. It was like they were doing the TV edit while while they were filming. They were just filming the TV edit, but so, saying the words and <laughs> spitting them out like he was actually using the swear words. Yeah, you could tell. You could tell the the. Um the maliciousness behind the words you know he's like oh you mother lover and it's like well that, not even you know, that but it would be like it, it would just be like um like mother i'm going to flub you it would up be kind yeah, of like yeah, nonsense yeah. yeah but you could tell like the anger behind the words is there it just it was i thought that was hilarious just because it was done it took me about a good two minutes of listening to him cuss to realize he wasn't cussing 
Like I really had to do a double take. I was like, wait, no, no. He, what's, what's he saying? And because I was watching on YouTube, I didn't have subtitles on. So I couldn't see what was being said. So I thought like, you know, I was kind of listening and yeah, my mind was playing tricks on me. Like I was self-editing, I guess you could say mentally, but no, no, he, it's, it's a very, it's a relatively safe and PG film. Yeah, it is. And you're right that it took me a minute to realize what was being said because I kept hearing it and it, it just hits your ears like you're hearing a swear word. I'm not sure how how they chose the words, but they do sound like they're swearing. But no, no, a lot of these, a lot of what he would say, it was, it sounded very, it sounded really bad. You know, like, oh my gosh, he said that. And it's like, no, no, he said something completely different. He just said nonsense really any any bits that stood out to you anything in this that you thought was really uh really you know one of the things which i really this may be silly but the love interests of the film whenever the tongan ninja is interacting with her i thought it was hilarious just because he's so either completely oblivious well he is he's completely oblivious to her uh to her um to her because she she likes the Tongan ninja so she's coming on to the Tongan ninja but he's just very like oh ho, ho, he's completely oblivious there's a scene the when which is done to the bgs how deep is your love um where they go to it's almost like a um it's almost like a like a like an indoor greenhouse correct and there's the fountain scene where she's like you know playing around with him but the Tongan ninja keeps looking at the water and, you know, she's goofing around. He sees the water again. And then, you know, after about like 30 seconds or so, he runs to the bathroom because he needs to go. I, I thought that that was just so, it, you know, they, they didn't, they explained and they kind of described what was happening to him mentally without really saying anything. You know, there's a lot of kind of like, there's a lot of silly humor like that. I, I, I did like that just because he was so oblivious to her coming on to him. Yeah, there's a, a scene later, there's a car chase near the end of the movie that uh, has, like, the, the ninja that's driving the car is fumbling around in the glove compartment for something to stop the Tongan ninja who is chasing them. And there's just one rock, a small rock. A single rock. it yes. out the window. And the Tongan ninja sees it coming and gets so worried, and his car hits this tiny rock and goes flying like he's just hit a ramp in a big budget Hollywood action movie. That always kind of gets me. It gives me a little chuckle. Yeah, yeah. It, it's charming. The whole film is charming. You, you you use that word to describe it earlier, and that's the only way I could describe it too. It's just, it's a fun, stupid little charming film. You know. Yeah, I couldn't be too hard on this movie. I went. I'm just saying. Like this time, I did end up watching it twice, but it kind of. Like I, I struggled with it. I, a lot of it I found a little bit, a little bit dull and unfunny. And then a few parts of it I thought were very funny. So I can't, I can't really recommend this to everybody. I think anybody listening to this, the type of movies we discuss on this, you're probably going to know whether you want to watch it. And I have a feeling you're going to want to, <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's not a, a yeah, movie. It's, 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 it's not a movie. I, I saw it once. I enjoyed it. But it's not something I'm going to run to go see next week, or it's not something I'm going to really even see in this next year. You know, maybe, you know, a few years from now, I might find that I want to watch it again. 
but you know, I'm, it's, it's, you know, it's a, a fun little charming film, but it's not something that I'm going to, uh, not something I'm going to return to every few months. So no, this, this, this is probably, this last time is probably the last time I'll be watching this one. in town. He's beginning to annoy me. Yeah, I think he should meet with a slight accident. Jimmy Wong Yu is the man from Hong Kong. George Lazenby is Jack Wilton. Gunrunner, dope peddler, ruthless czar of international evil. Stopped. Nothing stands in his way for long. Nobody's safe from the man from Hong Kong. Martial arts superstar Jimmy Wang Yu plays Inspector Fang Sing Leng, who heads to Australia to extradite a Chinese national. It isn't long before Inspector Fang heads off on his own mission to take down drug kingpin Jack Wilton, played by one-time Bond George Lazenby. Much to the amusement and consternation of his Australian handlers, Inspector Bob Taylor, played by Roger Ward, and Sergeant Maury Gross, played by Hugh Keyes Byrne. Now this is a movie I've been wanting to see for years. This is my first time seeing it. I'm pretty sure that this is your first time seeing it, correct? First time seeing it as well, too. Yep. And I've been wanting to see it for a while because of the director, Brian Trenchard Smith, who, who's a pretty big name in Australian film and has directed some movies that I really love or really like. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, have you ever seen the documentary Not Quite Hollywood? It, no, it, I haven't seen it. it. It's a documentary about the Australian film boom in the 70s and 80s and how really crazy and wild it was because they didn't really have a lot of workplace safety laws on films. So the stuntmen were really just risking <laughs> life and limb and they were just doing whatever they wanted in movies. They were kind of like, like they were getting money to do, make these movies, but no oversight. And so the, the movies ended up being just like really out there and crazy, you know, like Mad Max came from this, um, some really interesting horror movies like Patrick is one, um, like Wake and Fright, uh, I think, is it The Long Weekend? I think is the one, that's a really good one. Um, yeah, it, it's it's yeah. I don't know which one. The long weekend, I think it is. And this one was mentioned in depth in Not Quite Hollywood, and we will get into it. But this movie, it is amazing. Especially you've seen it now. It is amazing yeah. that nobody was killed. There were injuries. <laughs> there were plenty of injuries. Uh, at least one of them fairly serious, but nobody like seriously seriously hurt. And I can't believe that. I, maybe they hid the bodies. I don't know. But watching them discuss this on Not Quite Hollywood made me just, I, I really wanted to see this. And I don't know why it's taken me so long. This movie 
was a delight. <laughs> I it's, it's really good. You know, it does the, it's, it's a brutal film. You know, watching this, there are two things which I remember thinking after it was done. First off, of how brutal it was. Every single punch, every single fight, every single thing feels very... Um, it, 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 you, you feel every punch, you feel every kick. It, it, it feels very intense. And then the other thing which I took away from this is Australians love for hang gliding. Those well, two Brian things Hunter are my Smith. biggest. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, didn't, I interrupted No, no, you. go for it. Go, go. But Brian Trenchard just, Smith here seems to really love hang gliding. And I guess this is just he before really hang gliding really took off. He really loves hang gliding. Like this is before it. Took well, I off. never knew that there was a time where like hang gliding was was a thing. Apparently, like I was reading that apparently this kicked off of a, a bit of a, a trend for hang gliding because he he does it so much in this movie. There are so many shots of people just hang gliding, and it's kind of like like well, that starts illegal. with somebody hang gliding. I I was I was shocked because it starts off with the hang gliding montage, correct? Well, I, the scene on Uluru is first, right? The air, yes, yes, the yes. first the first fight scene. Um, yeah, the first fight scene, but then it kicks right in after that to like a, a montage of a, a random person you find out eventually who it is, just hang gliding. And it takes a long in time. Hong Kong. Yeah, but it takes like a good like three minutes. There's other there's other dialogue scenes where it will cut to hang gliding. And yes, I, I was kind of like wondering, like, man, he just really likes hang gliding. And then hang gliding comes and plays a big part in the finale, surprisingly. <laughs> but he was really layering that in there so that we were ready. Yeah, he for it. really he really wanted to get hang gliding involved heavily into this film. But man, you're right. This movie is brutal. The fight scenes. I was like, there was a there's a scene in the middle of this movie where he is surrounded by these students at a martial arts studio and they all have weapons. And at the end of the fight, it shows like a wide shot of the room and there's like limbs and hands laying on the floor. And like, yeah, I'm like, I don't remember seeing him cut anybody's hands off, but that fight was pretty brutal. But it is amazing that this movie has so much energy. It is an hour and 41 minutes and there are foot chases, there are car chases galore car chases galore every there's a yeah there i was really surprised you know you you usually will get you know in martial arts film you'll get like a lot of fighting or you'll get a lot of you know wire work or you'll get a lot of this this really you know hits upon a lot of things which you know i guess australia was known for at the time you know i was not expecting multiple car chases to happen in this film and they do and it's 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 kind of cool you know I'm just not interested in cars. Like, I don't know anything about cars. And yet, the Australians really seem to know how to film a car to make it look cool. And I'm not yeah. quite sure what it is, but the car chases in this, 1975, they may look a little slow to, you know, people raised on Fast and the Furious. But, oh my gosh, are they impressive. Like, you can just see it's actual people in these cars bashing into each other and one of the things in the documentary all of these car chases were on open roads with no permits like they, didn't get, they didn't get any permission they just went out onto a road that was being used by people and drove down it and like just bashed into each other knocking each other off the road <laughs> well there's a couple scenes in, in these car chases where you see other people drive by you know, and so yeah. just knowing that those were actual people, not knowing that it was film going on, that's pretty spectacular. Well, that and there's a there's a scene, a testament to how dangerous they were, 
where every time a car gets run off a road, it is going to explode. And yeah. there's a scene, I think it's the first car explosion in the beginning, very beginning of the movie, where you can see the door during the explosion, the car door flies at the camera and lands. Like it doesn't get that close, but it's like feet away. Yeah. And they didn't have that door secured in any way. They, it almost hit the camera, the camera operator and the director. Well, there was a, a, another scene. It was the simplest scene. The, the one thing involving a car that made me seriously jump. The scene where the inspector is going to meet his reporter friend. And he pulls around in his, you know, open top Mercedes Benz. And how he stops, he doesn't pull up slowly and stops. He kind of, kind of hits the emergency brake and kind of drifts and glides feet away from this parked car. And the, the woman who's acting there, she's... She doesn't even bat an eye. And I saw that. I'm like, oh, he's going to hit her. And then it's like, oh, no, he's just being a cool inspector in his car. I mean, it's those little things involving cars, which, man, that, it really impressed me that Australians know stuff about cars. Yeah. And like, we should talk about it. Jimmy Wang Yu as Inspector Fang, and he was the one on Boxer. He'd been in some Shaw Brothers martial arts. He was big name at the time. He's yeah. filling in for Bruce Lee here. This was supposed to be Bruce Lee, but he, he he passed away. And so Jimmy Wang Yu came on. He is for more or less James Bond in this movie. This movie is a mix of James Bond and a Kung Fu film. And Jimmy Wang Yu is Bond. He is suave. He dresses well. He drives a nice car. Or he doesn't. He does in Hong Kong before he gets to Australia. He's constantly bedding women which is something that you kind of do not see in martial arts heroes and i know like currently there's a big uh, conversation about like the sexless male asian in movies that asian men are kind of like not allowed to be seen as desirable or sexual no he's he's getting the ladies yeah, so it was very, I guess, I mean, it's kind of a weird word to say it, but it was very refreshing to see him as this suave, very virile, you know, he, he, like sexual human being. Like he is allowed to do all these things that Asian men are not often allowed to be in even movies today. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, he, you're right. He plays... You know, he plays what we consider to be James Bond in this film. You know, all of the, all of, all of James Bond is him. You know, the womanizing, the cool aspect, the, you know, even just, you know, just he's, he's, that's what he is. He's Bond. You contrast this even with the other martial arts names of the day. Like Bruce Lee was allowed to get romantic with, with women, but if you look at at even the the next wave of martial arts superstar, like Jackie Chan was just starting out, and it, I can't believe we haven't mentioned. Well, we have to get back to this. Sammo Hung is in this movie. He he choreographed the fights. So so Jackie Chan and you know Sammo Hung and Yen Bao and all of those uh, like Jet Li, Donnie Yen a little bit later. They're just not there yet. But that wave, that next wave of martial arts stars, are not allowed to be desirable or sexual in the movies that are marketed towards the West. Like they can be in some of the movies that are playing only in 
in Hong Kong or China, but those scenes usually get edited out if they're brought outside of China, or if it's a movie like like Rumble in the Bronx, it's it was kind of like marketed more like they they hope to get it more outside of Hong Kong. There's just no sex in there. Like like they 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 they're either you know celibate Buddhist monks or they're just uh, you know platonic friends or ro platonic romances with the women in the movies. Yeah, they're just the good guy. That's really what it boils down to, you know. So this they're the good in the sense of non-threatening, you know. Yeah, and so to see Jimmy Wang Yu in this, like he's not a great person. Like <laughs> he causes so much damage. He's not a bad guy. He's doing it because he's trying to catch the criminals, and the people that he's fighting are criminals. But he just goes through <laughs> with no, no care to actual law, no care to any of the collateral damage that he's causing. He is just like, I am going to get this drug dealer and like plows through as many people as he needs to to get there yeah he's brutal yeah. my favorite scene is when he's uh doing the interrogation at the very beginning and the two his two handlers they go out for like a beer and pool and one of them makes an offhand comment where it's like oh how much damage can he do in 15 minutes and it cuts back and you know it's this overhead view of the cell and there's just blood splatter everywhere. Like he's just been pounding on this guy for the last three minutes of the 15, you know? Okay, so there's a weird tone here, which I think fans of Australian cinema of this period will recognize where yes, it's brutal and violent, but it, it, there's a humor to it. I mean, it, it, it's the violence, you're, you're not gonna look at it and say, oh, that's extreme necessarily because yeah the the stuff that we see today is so much more visceral than this i guess or not not frenetic like it's so much more in your face but this is like just the sheer quantity of action and violence in this movie is what makes it kind of brutal um but there's humor here because there's a scene or it is this scene where he's beaten on sammo hung and sammo hung is fighting back they're pretty evenly matched in this jail cell and he gets a punch square in Sammo Hung's balls. And there's a smash cut to the cops across the street and they're breaking the the pool balls, right? Like yeah, they're yeah. playing pool and they cut, smash cut to all the balls breaking. And it's well, like, it, oh, it's just, a it's kind of a, a, a dry, silly sense of humor through this entire movie that makes it really, really fun. And you know, and this is something which I tie back over to the Tongan Ninja where one of the things which really excels in this movie is its editing and pacing. You know, they got a much more adapt cast who knew how to do martial arts in this. But still, there are certain scenes where they will cut and angle and edit in such a certain way that it keeps up this fun, almost like martial arts energy. Like, you know, a punch is thrown, and then you see them breaking the billiard balls. You know, they somebody will make a little comment, and then it'll cut to something action, happening in the action. You know, and those moments, you know, even though, you know, you know, the Australians are not known for, quote unquote, their martial arts, they do use that editing to make their the martial arts more kinetic and it makes it more um, choreographed and, and paced. It's I, I really enjoyed how this and the last movie did that. Yeah, well, this one, like I said, it was a co-production with uh, with Golden Harvest. There's a little bit of a a slight controversy controversy here because according to the what I've read and the documentary Not Quite Hollywood, Jimmy Wang Yu did not like Australia. 
He did not like a lot of the actors he was working with. And that feeling was reciprocated. A lot of the cast and crew said they did not like working with Jimmy Wang Yu, that he was very unpleasant. It extends to the director as well because Jimmy Wang Yu felt he should direct or felt he was directing. And so he did direct at least part of this. It's not clear how much, but he is, co he is credited as a co-director in certain prints, but in the Australian and American releases, it's just Brian Trenchard Smith is the director. So the, the animosity on the set, however much there was between Jimmy Wang Yu and the Australian crew is kind of, it's kind of funny to think that scene in the martial arts studio where Jimmy Wang Yu just suddenly finds himself mm -hmm. surrounded and he runs out and he, he, he escapes in the elevator, but they stop the elevator and he climbs out the roof, but some guy has climbed down to, uh, to, to fight. Yeah, he kind of meets him in fight on top of the elevator. Yeah. That that person fighting him on top of the ele elevator is Brian Charnchard Smith. That is. Whoa! The I didn't know that, that. The director of the film. Yeah, which is very interesting to think about. The the two people directing this movie, you know, the star and the director, and the star who wants to be the director and in, is. I don't. I just don't know how much he did direct. Um, like just basically, literally fighting, <laughs> like literally yeah, having it out on camera, each other up on yeah. top of that elevator oh it's great this movie is so much fun yeah it's definitely worth tracking down you know thank you very much for for recommending this one because i was really impressed with it yeah and it, it's a really cheap rental um most digital providers we watched it on amazon i understand if people don't want to give any more money to amazon so you can yeah i watched it on there. youtube and it was like two bucks yeah yeah okay but you know produced by raymond chow and and golden harvest and the fight choreography was by Sammo Hung. There were, there were a lot of people who worked in Hong Kong martial arts films working on this. So they did get a lot of that talent and a lot of that flavor, like really well. I was surprised when I, I heard about this th thought, like, oh, I want to see this movie. I did not quite realize, or not, not quite realize, but I was surprised watching it, how much it felt like a legitimate martial arts film. It didn't oh, feel completely. It it, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that this was supposed to be a title for Bruce Lee to star in. It felt like a classic Bruce Lee film, you know? Yeah, this this didn't feel like they were they were copying a style. This feel, felt like they were working within the style, like they, they nailed it. Yeah, they, they really, I, I really enjoyed this film. You know, both films I really enjoyed, you know, one, Tonga Ninja was more for the cheekiness and for just kind of, it's, it was just charming. But this, this is a good good martial arts film well we're still on the topic of like production an interesting little fact here because it was a co-production with hong kong and australian film backers it had to be shot 50 50 like half of it had to be in hong kong half of it had to be in australia and yet only 15 percent of the film about takes place in china so a lot of the interiors that are meant to be australian were shot in china just to get to that like that true parody of happening. whoa yeah uh, do you do you know which scenes were which i don't i don't i meant to i meant to go back and watch not quite hollywood but i um i don't own it and I, I would have had to rent it and i just didn't get around to it yeah you know it's it's it, it feels you know i'm actually really surprised at that because when it is in quote unquote australia it feels like it's in australia you know the sets and the just even on the interior shots of like you know 
uh, the, you know, the indoor houses, the apartments, you know, just all that. It feels very almost Australian slash Western, you know? Well, then maybe I'm wrong because you're, you're right. I felt that, but maybe this is just an internet rumor. You never, you never can tell. And I tried to do my, my due diligence and research, but maybe something got by me. Well, you know, I can, you know, the interesting thing is, I mean, if anyone can do it, I mean, like it's, it was amazing set design, you know, that's, you know, that's what it was, they were known for, you know, I mean, I could see them pulling that off, but it was just, that's very well done if that's what they did. So we, we mentioned it with Tonga Ninja, and it's only fair to bring it up here, the at times very non-PC dialogue and uh, racial humor in this movie. And it's not, it's not incredibly pronounced, like there's not a lot in this movie, I think, but there are, there are lines said by the two cops that are, you know, basically taking uh, Jimmy Wang Yu around, and especially Jack Wilton played by uh, George Lazenby. Um, George Lazenby has some pretty, like, says some pretty bad things to Jimmy Wang Yu. For the most part, the racist dialogue is, we're meant to understand that that's being said by characters who are ignorant or villainous. Like we're, we're supposed to, all that stuff, the joke is kind of on the people that are saying it, not on Jimmy Wang Yu. Um, because I think Jimmy Wang Yu just comes across as so utterly cool in this movie. Yeah, he's utterly likable. Like like James Bond, You, I mean, as much as you might not, you question who he is as a person, you, everyone wants to be James Bond in a sense. Everyone wants to be that kind of cool and suave. Yeah, so... Um, but I also did read, I read this essay because I was like, I was just kind of looking up like, th there's some of it that was like, oh, this is not not kosher. I, I did read um, Stephen Teo, or Teo, a professor mm -hmm. who, who who's written a bunch of academic textbooks on Chinese cinema. And um, in 2001, when this movie was kind of rediscovered, like it had been out of circulation for years, uh, he wrote an essay and he was talking about the racism in this movie that basically the narrative narrative function of the two cops in this movie is that they're they're a buffer to Inspector Fang to Australian culture. Like they're they're kind of the surrogate that helps guide him around for a little while. They eventually disappear for a large chunk of this movie. He said that then the audience function of those characters for an Australian audi audience, they would have served to to hopefully make an audience more comfortable with. Asian characters, which maybe not hadn't been seen on Australian screens very often up to that point. But he said that the way that those lines would have worked with a Chinese audience would have like basically served a nationalistic goal, made the hero more sympathetic and increased the desire to see him victorious over these racist Australians. So it was kind of interesting because my yeah. I was watching it with my partner and she was like, oh, this movie is just as bad. And I was trying to think about it like, yeah, kind of some of the dialogue is but then it was it was interesting to think like this movie was produced in part like it was a it, it was a true 50-50 co-production so everything would have been approved by the chinese producers the actors and they may have had their own reasons for keeping that the stuff in as well so that's interesting to think about yeah you know and and i i did find that as well too you know on on one hand you know, it, they were almost acting as as a foil, like a voice and a connection for Australia. It's like, oh, look at this person from Hong Kong. You know, he's going to beat up all the all of our witnesses before he leaves. Kind of, you know, it's done tongue in cheek. You know, and you could kind of see 
that as a way of people saying, oh, look at this, look at this foreign person, you know? But then I also see the same thing too, because I, at times I did feel, yeah, they were being very ignorant. I kind of want this guy to kind of step in and do what they can't do, you know, to kind of, you know, really stick it to these people who are underestimating him. Yeah. And, you know, he, <laughs> it's so, it's so weird because he's such a cool character in this, but the stuff he does, he is just violating civil rights left and right. He is just killing a bunch of people that really maybe don't deserve it. Like, obviously they're working for the villain in some. But, but I mean, like if you take, you take the scene, which is probably the most brutal scene in the movie, which is the fight in the, in the martial arts studio where he breaks into a studio on the 11th or the 12th floor. That's and yes, it's floor. run by the, yeah, yes, it's run by the villain. But, you know, if you get somebody breaking and entering and beating up your staff because he beats up the receptionist, you know, of course you're going to want to fight this person that sneaks in, you know? I mean, it's just, you know, those people are just probably just thinking that this guy is breaking and entering into their place, not thinking, oh, you know, here comes the quote-unquote good guy trying to find out where the bad guy is. It's just, here comes this dude sneaking into your studio on the 10th floor and he just beat up the person running the studio. Let's get him. Yeah, it also raises the question, like, how many of those people were actually willingly working for the villain and how many of them were, maybe some of them were just there because they wanted to learn karate. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. They exactly. may not have even known the connection. Yeah, and then a couple of them picked up swords and then everyone started to pick up weapons and then limbs were lost. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we should talk a little bit too about the villain, Jack, uh, uh, Jack Wilton, played by George Lazenby post bond like he had already been in on her majesty's secret service at this point yeah i did i barely recognized him he man i know like people people crap on him for being the like one of the worst bonds because he only did the one movie and then he decided to quit like he wasn't it wasn't that he was bad and they wanted sean connery back it was just he decided that he didn't want to do it anymore after one movie and uh like such a, a weird decision but um he is kind of wooden as Bond. Like he is not terrible. He's not as as bad as people want he, like want to say. I think he he could have gotten good over a couple of films. Like gotten really yeah. Give him well. give him give him a chance to kind of grow into the roles. Yeah, yeah. And he never got that chance. So obviously there's going to be awkwardness with when you're the first person to follow Sean Connery. But that being said, he's great as a villain in this movie. He's so much. He's a really great villain in this film. You're absolutely right. And he's so he's so sleazy and uh, and smarmy and just kind of like has this great tone. Uh, physically, he's imposing like he holds himself well in the fight scenes and the stunts he has to do alongside Jimmy Wang Yu. Kind of kind of made me wish like he had continued to do Bond. But yeah, you maybe know, I it's... just want him to be maybe I want him to be a villain. Maybe I would have liked to see him more as a villain. I think he would have been a great Bond villain. Like ah, that he yeah. feels he plays a Bond villain, really, is what he does, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's you know, somebody who is a, a head of a you know, an empire, you know, and then he knows all this martial arts on the side, you know. It's that's what he really, but at the same time, he also has a very public and social front, you know. I mean, a lot of this is just like he has his fingers in so many different pies that you know he's a socialite as well, too. Everyone kind of wants to get to know him. 
you know, the first big confrontation between the inspector and him is at a, like a, it's at a social uh, brunch it's like, party. Like right? a garden party. Yeah, a garden party. Yeah. And, you know, you don't really expect it to go the way that it does. But then he's like, hey, let's have a demonstration of martial arts right here. And then uses it just to try to beat the shit out of the inspector. You know? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so we should talk then about the injuries on this set and how yeah this is the first time i'm hearing that you know we didn't talk about this before this podcast but this is the first time that i'm hearing that there was legitimate injuries on this film i want to know more about those so i really recommend the documentary not quite hollywood it's been a few years since i've seen it so some of the details i'm not quite i may not remember all of them but I, i went online and looked up got some information i could Jimmy Wang Yu was injured while hang gliding, which really, really surprised me because the way it's filmed, it looks like they could have just had the wide shots with anybody. And then the close-ups could be Jimmy Wang Yu on a rooftop. Like they don't need to actually have him hang gliding in this movie, but he did. Yeah, I honestly thought it was a stunt double the whole entire time. No, nope, and, and even he, more than that too is the hang gliding is fairly... It's peaceful hang gliding. You know, yeah. there's not much going on with the hang gliding. There's just shots of them casually gliding in the sky. Well, he he fell a hundred feet. Whoa! He missed he he missed three days of filming while he was recuperating. Yikes! A hundred feet. Yeah, that final scene, the final fight with uh, George Lazenby and Jimmy Wang Yu. There's that mm-hmm. fire stunt which is, first of all, it's surprising because it is clearly George Lazenby being set on fire. <laughs> like, it's not a stunt double in that. He is, yep. he, you can tell he's got the, you know, the protective liquid on, but they are setting his, he, he falls back into a, an open fire and his coat goes up in flames. During the shooting of that, George Lazenby had trouble getting the coat off and burned his arms and hands. Pretty badly, Whoa. I guess. And you can see, because they used that take in the film, you can see it, since it's in slow motion, when he gets that look of panic and he's really struggling to get the coat off, that's real. That Like, he was being burned at that point. Yikes. Yeah, that, I just thought that was good acting there. <laughs> well, maybe it's both. But yeah, <laughs> there there were two stuntmen hospitalized after a car crash during one of the, the chase scenes. Do you remember which chase scene it was? I don't, I don't. And then uh, a couple of other people just kind of like had minor injuries and a sound man broke a bone somehow. I, I, think oh, it wow. was, I think it was the first scene. Like, I think it was on Uluru because that, that was pretty treacherous footing, it looked like. Yeah, that was uh, like at a 45 degree angle on that. Yeah. And one of the few films to film there, you can't, you can't film anywhere or film there anymore that it has been, um, it has been closed to hikers for two years now in the Australian government closed it uh, in accordance with the wishes of the Aboriginal tribe in the area. Wow, I didn't know that's been closed for two years. Yeah, like it—it's. I mean, it's a sacred spot, <laughs> and people were just climbing up and you know making a mess of it. So, uh, yeah, like, I mean, that's like I could see them doing that. You know, it is—it's sacred ground. Uh, what do you think of the theme song for this movie? It's. A- you know, both of the both of the movies, the theme songs are cool theme songs. Yeah, I might put a little bit of that in here too. Uh, Sky High by the band Jigsaw. Apparently, after making the movie, they 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 got another fifty thousand dollars in the budget to buy that song, have Jigsaw write them a song, and it went to number one in several countries. 
I didn't know that. That's it, it's a catchy tune. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned one of the police officers, Sergeant Morris, is played by Hugh Keyes Byrne, and he's a successful, or he was a successful Australian actor. Um, very successful career from the seventies on until he passed away just a little over a year ago. He was in a lot of Australian television. A couple of things that made it over here, like Farscape, he was on for a few episodes and um, uh, like just kind of guest spots, but also in movies. Anyway, I mentioned him because his final role was as Immortan Joe in Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, no way. So which cop was he again? Was he the, was he the one with the long hair? Kind yeah, of the shaggy cop? He was the shaggy cop that worked in the narcotics division. The, the one that looked very... Un- That's- <laughs> and he was actually in the first... Uh, Mad Max as well. He played a character called Toe Cutter, such like a a big iconic role for a last role. And then this was his. Yeah. This was only his second feature film. He'd been on TV before this, but this was his second movie. Well, and the funny part is, I spent most of the movie trying to figure out where I knew this guy from, and I couldn't quite place it. You know, but now when I think about his voice, it makes perfect sense. I could just make all the connections there. Yeah. Uh, anything else that you want to say? Any other, um, no, you know, it's, it's, I I know that these, you know, both these issues have, both of these movies have issues, you know, it's, it's, you know, the representation sometimes isn't the most positive, but you know, it's, I, I do got to say, I enjoyed both of the films, you know, it's, it had a sense of, of, of just a nice pacing, nice editing, good action. You know, it's, you know, martial arts films coming from you know australia new zealand aren't something that you you normally think of you know but you know not only did they pull off the films well but they you know they catered it specifically to the strengths you know the editing was top-notch cinematography and the shots are top-notch you know and even like you know when they had action scenes something that the australians do well like car chases they threw it in the movies as well too you know I'm, I'm, i was impressed you know it's a I don't know exactly when I'd be returning over to Tonga Ninja, but definitely I'm going to be giving uh, the man from Hong Kong another watch again soon. Yeah, man from Hong Kong. I, you're right. It, it is not. It has representation issues. I think the representation issues are let are, are not as. I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to compare the two movies. I'm just going to say that it has representation issues in not as bad a way as you might expect for a 1975 Australian movie about martial arts. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's pretty fair in it. Uh, maybe fair isn't the right word, but um, I, I just think the things that you're going to be, you're going to find that would be questionable are, are pretty endemic to 1970s cinema all around. Like it's just, yeah, it, it's, it wasn't it's, it's the most of, enlightened it, period, but you're right about the pacing of it. This movie, like kind of like, just kicks into high gear immediately. It, it, it you never go too many minutes without a big action scene. There are so many mo- scenes in this movie that you could call a centerpiece. I read a quote from Brian Chandrad Smith talking about this movie that he's like, "It's an hour and forty-one minute movie." He thinks there's about maybe eighteen minutes of dialogue in it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, completely. It, it it's it's so good. And uh, th- these aren't any rec- recommendations, but I just like Brian Trenchard Smith. He was a pretty key figure in exploitation of the 70s and 80s. He came over here to America. He's had a successful career, even though he's not a big name. Um, but in the, in Australia, he did uh, Turkey Shoot, which um, which is kind of a post-apocalyptic dystopian 
prison movie, not post-apocalyptic, just dystopian prison escape movie, BMX Bandits, the first uh, Nicole Kidman film. He did this movie I loved from my childhood called The Quest. I think in, in Australia. Oh, yeah. Frog Didn't Dream. that have Henry Thomas in it? Yeah. I love that. As yeah, a and kid. it had like a, it didn't have a sea monster, like the Loch Ness Monster or something in it? Yeah, he was, it was a Loch Ness Monster that, um, well, I won't spoil it for this, <laughs> but it was a Loch Ness <laughs> style monster. Um, and then he did this movie that, speaking of cars, making cars look good, uh, this post-apocalyptic movie, kind of Mad Max-ish movie called Dead End Drive-In, where basically mm-hmm. the, the, the government just locks all of the young punks up in, a, in an old drive-in theater. And so there's like barbed wire chains and fencing around the theater. Uh, that, that one's fun. That's a really fun movie from the 80s. And he's still working. I, well, he was. His last movie was seven years ago now. But hey, uh, he, he's, maybe he's retired. <laughs> What's the movie from seven years ago? Uh, Drive Hard. It's got Thomas Jane, I think, and John. Oh, Huffer. yeah. Now I remember it. Now it's ringing a bell. It's not great. It's got a lot of problems. It's kind of like a, a direct-to-video action movie. But if you watch a lot of these, like, direct-to-video low-budget kind of knockoff action movies it it has a at least a energy and sense of humor but it's still not great okay i think i am good if you're good and we will yeah i'm good you want to start moving over to the top five yeah let's take a break and we'll be right back with our top five And we're back and here are our top five for the week. Now, this one, we, we couldn't really just do like Australian, New Zealand <laughs> martial arts movies. I don't think we could even find five, let alone five each. Um, so we're doing something a little bit different. We're, we're going to do something that are, these are recommendations inspired by these movies. These are just whatever, like we may even, they may not even have a real link. They're just movies that we were inspired to recommend because of the movies today. So I am going to go first, if that's okay with you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Please. Okay. So I'm going to go first, and I'm going to choose, uh, well, my first one, it's another New Zealand movie. I figure we, we, we should talk about New Zealand cinema. Everybody knows Peter Jackson. Everybody knows all the films, or not everybody knows, but people should be familiar with like Dead Alive, Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, stuff like that. Heavenly Creatures, I think, was his first like big Oscar, or it got him the big attention out, outside of New Zealand. I'm going to mention one that I do not see discussed a lot, Forgotten Silver, which is oh. a mid-90s mockumentary he made about a an overlooked New Zealand filmmaker who happened to be the world's leading pioneer in the world of cinema. Like this guy, it, it's a fake documentary. Everything is made up. But in the movie, this guy invented sound pictures. He invented color. He directed all these epics. And so this is like, it plays like Peter Jackson himself documenting the life of this forgotten filmmaker and uncovering some of his old sets that are still out in the jungle, showing clips of his old movies. So he's working in a bunch of different styles as well. But he's like, he's always just a couple of years ahead of the rest of the world in these, in these inventions. But it just like never gets the credit for him and all of his work is is forgotten more or less and it's really charming it's a really fun movie so you know my 
what I did was, you know, there's two things which I kind of gravitated towards. First off, I gravitated. What really inspired me this week was just kind of the editing and pacing of these films, you know, and um, my the, the majority of my top five comes from that. But my first pick actually comes from something which came from, you know, the man from Hong Kong. We're watching it, you know, you take you know, you don't really see Australian films as, you know, big on martial arts. I see Australian films as have a lot to do with like cars and car chases. And so that's was my first pick was to go to my favorite Australian car centric movie. And it's, you got to give it to the road warrior, Mad Max, you know, that movie I loved when I was a kid, you know, that kind of like post-apocalyptic, you know, car chasing down the barren highway, you know, that's when I think of Australian cinema, I, I, that's the first thing that I go to because that was my first like exposure to it. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I, I gave that just kind of like over the last, over the last couple of days, it just reminded me how much I love that. And I actually gave it kind of like, you know, a quick little rewatch here and there. And it was, I, I forgot how much I love that movie. Yeah. I'm, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't choose that one. That's such a good choice. And you're right. Like I I totally need to go back and rewatch these movies. It, it what does it say about me? You were leading into this movie that was so obviously going to be Road Warrior and I want to just go hop in and say The Cars That Ate Paris. I was a, <laughs> it was really funny because I was I'm a huge Weir fan as well too. And it was originally going to be The Cars That Ate Paris. But, I, you know, I think, you know, it's one of those things, you know, as I got older, I just keep thinking back to, you know, the times over at my grandparents watching HBO on like the floor and the one movie, one of the ones which I kept watching all the time when I really shouldn't have been was The Road Warrior. And no, like, it's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of ingrained. I have to, I have to, you know, I have to give it, I have to give it a mention. I have to give it a mention. No, Road Warrior is definitely the way to go. That, that's a perfect choice. Okay, um, I'm going to go with another New Zealand movie. I got one more with New Zealand movie. And this is like kind of hopping off of Taika Waititi that uh, I want to recommend. And people know this. This isn't like a, a hidden gem. Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. I heard it's really it, good. It's so good. We watched it again Uh uh, we watched it when it first came out. We watched it again with our oldest daughter just uh, like a week or two ago. It, really good. I, I think we liked it better the second time. And we liked it a lot the first time. Sam Neill is in it. Great performance. The kid in the movie is great. It's just a really funny movie, a really fun movie. Another good soundtrack. There's some fun songs written for the movie. Um, like really just definitely give it a shot. This movie is great. And Taika Waititi, of course, he... he had the little cameo in Tonga Ninja. He directed this one as well, based on a novel. Uh, if anybody out there hasn't seen it for whatever reason, really look for it. I think it's on Hulu. It's on some service, but you can find it. Yeah, I, I want to say it's on Hulu. We've been. I think it's on our watch list for Hulu. We just haven't gotten around to it. You should. You should. It's good. It's good. All right. Uh, all right. So, you know. Again, we're going back over to kind of like the pacing. And after watching Tonga Ninja, you know, I went to my favorite film 
for that I go to for comedy, which is like comedy action film, where I love the pacing, I love the editing. It's you know a lot of people have seen it, but you got to give it some respect. Uh, my next recommendation is Hot Fuzz. No, oh, good one. Yes, another yeah. Bond movie as well. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's it's Hot Fuzz. You know, it's just you know, it's 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 again kind of similar. I I want to say that you know I look at Tonga Ninja and I see it almost like as a parody satire, and I see it kind of you know kind of you know it's 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 charming. But then I look at something like how it could really be done and be done well. And the first thing which I go to is Hot Fuzz. You know, there is a very fun, very fast paced, very energetic film. And, you know, it, it again plays off of tropes. It's not necessarily martial arts tropes, but it's, you know, kind of action buddy cop film. And, you know, that's it's like, wow, you know, it, given a couple of years, maybe if the people who made Tonga Ninja kind of grew maybe they could have made that on this level. And how cool would that movie have been if it was on this level? Yeah. No, you're right. Hot Fuzz is great. Oh, that, that's, that's a good little little side choice as well. I, I mean, they're all great, that whole trilogy, but Hot Fuzz. Yeah, the whole trilogy is, is amazing, you know, and it's, it's one of those ones where, you know, you, you forget how good it is until you go back over to it. And then once you start doing like a quick rewatch, we were watched uh, Shaun of the Dead the other day. And, you know, that holds up really good still, you know, all three of them. It does. Hot, uh, Shaun of the Dead, um, man, like, it's particularly towards the end when it becomes a real horror movie, always surprises me, like, just how much it commits to being a real horror movie. Like, that's... Yeah. That bit, when it gets to the, the bit where his mom shows that she's been bitten, and it's using this, like, much grainier, darker film stock, and it... it it's horrific. It's really emotional in this silly comedy. Yeah, they, they, he, you know, but, Edgar Wright knows his film and, you know, he did it justice. Yeah. But I mean, we're talking about Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is great. Hot Fuzz is kind of a sleeper one for me because I always do forget how great that is. And every time I watch it, I'm like, man, this movie is terrific. But the other ones I just remember, like, oh, I love those. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, you know, of course I saw Sean at first. But Hot Fuzz, like, you know, it's, it does this, you know, it, it's, it's, it's almost like a mystery at the same time, too. And it, it doesn't, it it's commits to the rules that it sets, you know, it doesn't do like a whole sneaky last act, you know, curveball. I mean, it misleads you, definitely. But it's a fun mislead. It's like, okay, we know we're doing this on purpose. So we're just going to give you a very matter of fact reason this is all happening. My next one is going to be, hmm. My next one's going to be one I almost mentioned. Like I, I could have just mentioned and discussed it in the episode. Is Becoming Bond, the documentary about George Lazenby and how he became James Bond and threw it away. Oh seen, yeah, yeah. Have you seen this? Yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of it. it. It's done in a really interesting style, where basically it's him just talking to the camera, but then they've hired a bunch of actors to do all the reenactments so it's a little bit like drunk history where you know he's talking to the camera but then you see the people that are like the actors just kind of lip syncing to what he's saying yeah it's very funny it's clearly like we're getting it just from him so maybe not all of it is completely truthful but it's still an amazing story like how he just basically conned his way onto the set of on her majesty's secret service like he just bluffed his way into the role this no nobody 
he was a car salesman in Australia. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then how he became huge, obviously, because he's the next, the first person to be Bond after Sean Connery. And it was his choice. They wanted him for six more films. And he said, no, like he had listening to people who were saying, oh, James Bond is over. James, nobody like cares about James Bond anymore. And like talked him into kind of getting into the counterculture and doing these like, like giving up Bond to do these kind of like lower profile films that he was convinced were going to be the next big thing. Yeah. And then look how, you know, Bond has gone on very strong over these years. Oh yeah, of course. But he, he just seems like he's a, he's a happy old man now, but it was like, yeah, he's well, like, Oh yeah, this happened. Hilarious. Yeah. I messed up. Yeah. So that's mine. You, you should check it out. That's on Hulu. <laughs> yeah. So my third one, uh, you know, again, like I said, going with the theme of editing and choreography to an extent. Um, I kept thinking of martial arts as almost like a form of dance and movement. And there was a movie which I saw within the last couple of years, which really affected me, um, which involved a lot of dance and movement, which is the remake of Suspiria. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know this is kind of coming out of left field, but like just you know, they would have these kind of kinetic energy dances in this movie and in Suspiria, which reminded me a lot of these two films where, you know, with, you know, Tonga Ninja and the man from Hong Kong, they were edited in such a way. So it'd be like, like, you know, someone would get punched and you'd see the cue balls break. You would see that to an extreme sense in Suspiria where you'd see these kind of like very, impactful dance moves and how it would translate to something else but in a horror sense and oh, yeah. i kind I, of got this really cool you know when i saw it i'm like wow this really reminds me of that movement and energy when i when i saw in suspiria man. and i just kind of you know i went back and even did a couple little bit of rewatching of that as well too that's I see where you're coming from now that you put it out like that, pointed out like that. I can see the connection in your mind, but that mm -hmm. really is strange. <laughs> I'm like, how did you come to that conclusion? But I, I see it now, but that's weird. Yeah, yeah. I, I, when, I, when I wrote it down, I'm like, maybe I should change this. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to go with this. You know, no, I, it's perfect. I, it's great. It's great. Yeah, it's like, I, I, it, this is really just, you know, what inspired me after this. You know, and if you're, I got two more, we'll just say. And one of them, one of them you may get. The other one, I think, is going to come a little bit out of left field. Um, well, now I feel like none of mine are out of left field compared to that. <laughs> I will, I will go with the next one is very obvious, but I wanted another, like, if we were doing an East meets West, like an American version of martial arts, or not even a Western English speaking version of martial arts film. Um, the first and only one that comes to mind usually for me is Blind Fury with Rutger Hauer. I've mentioned oh, nice. it in the top five before. I am probably going to be doing an episode on it someday in the future, so I won't talk too much about it, but it, it is an American version of a Zadoichi film with Rutger Hauer. It is super cool. <laughs> like It's as cool yeah, as it was when I was 12 years old and pretending to fight with sticks out in the backyard. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's one of those ones where it's like, I'm going to pretend to be so cool, you know, let's grab this and let's sword fight, you know, and that's really what that was. And, you know, I, I saw it a lot when I was young as well, too. And you don't realize how much that 
you know, later on, I would find the Zadoichi films and samurai films, and you could see where that seed was planted back in the day with with films like Blind Fury. Okay, so what's up for you? Or, wait, what? That was mine. So what's so up for I, you? I've got two more. And now I mentioned a little bit ago that there was going to be one more, which comes out of left field. And so here it is. Now this, I, I don't. This isn't necessarily a movie, but it's something that I saw online the other day. Now earlier we were talking about music, how much I love music. And, you know, if I'd seen any live stuff lately, well, I haven't seen any live shows, but what I have been doing is in order to get that fix, I've been going online and looking up live concert videos. And I came across one of my favorite bands at the moment. Have you heard of a band called the Idols? I've heard of them. Okay. So what I'm recommending is during quarantine, they put out um, a live video of a concert they did over in france beautifully produced beautifully shot and it's called idols lab at Vatican, which okay. is a, a la Vatican is a venue over in france and they again released this as a live um not just a live video but they released it as a live album and so during quarantine in order to give everyone that kind of fix for a live show they released it as well and the energy that you feel you know this very almost raw pure energy that you get from watching this band live you know it almost feels like an action movie watching these people just kind of pounce and kind of move around the stage and the music they play is very um you know it's 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 very energetic you know it's very political in the sense of just very you know forward-mindedness you know and that was i mean you know, that's, I, I recommend giving that a watch, you know, because again, it's that energy, which I get from watching a great action and martial arts film. I get from watching this live concert. Oh, nice. I will, I will have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, I got into the band, you know, in the last maybe couple of years or so. And, you know, what really kind of sold me as a band was, their live performances where and I haven't seen them live yet. I've just seen videos and clips, but just seeing them, I, they're already my, the, one of the few bands, which when they tour around once with this pandemic ends, I'm going to see no matter what. So this kind of drove the nail in the coffin for me with that decision. So yeah, it's, 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 it is, it is an experience, you know, it's, you know, you could just imagine and feel the energy coming off of this video what you would get uh, at a live show. Awesome, awesome! I'll check it out. I will. I will look that up. Yeah, yeah, def- definitely do. It's 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 a it's cool music, you know. It's a it's a you know off the you know off the podcast thing, dude. I, it's it's fucking great. It's a it's very um. It reminds me almost like Fugazi and Jesus Lizard, you know. Okay. Where it has that very driving, almost like kind of Jesus Lizard, like kind of heavy metal but very politically minded, you know, like very, like, um, very socially forward thinking lyrics. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Great, dude. Check it out. All right. We'll do my last one today. I, I felt I had to pick at least one authentic Hong Kong action film because honestly, I've been wanting to do a martial arts themed episode for a while. And I kind of feel a little bad. We're doing like 
English or anglicized versions of martial arts instead of doing something authentic, even though Man from Hong Kong is pretty authentic. Um, yeah, it's pretty authentic. I, I just kind of felt bad, like, oh, man, I wanted to do this martial arts. And the first ones we're doing are these kind of like Australian and New Zealand films. Listeners, it will be coming. We will be doing martial arts soon. <laughs> anyway, so my next one is going to be, well, I have to pick something with the, like, all three, Sammo Hung, Yen Bao, and Jackie Chan. So I'm going to go with Wheels on Meals, which nice. is one of several films that they all made together. They were, of course, part of the, they, they went to the same Peking Opera House, but the, I can't remember what the, um, what they were called, the seven something. Uh, they were part of the seven little fortunes. Um, you know, they all went to the same uh, opera school. They all studied together. They all started getting work in stunt as stuntmen in films with Bruce Lee and everything like that. All great martial artists on their own. The one I think that gets overlooked a lot is Yen Bao because Sammo Hung has become a, big, a really famous choreographer and director, certainly a, a very famous actor in his own right. Um, outside of Hong Kong and China, I think Yen Bao is mainly known for the movies that he does with Jackie Chan or Sammo Hung, but um, no, they're all great. Yen Bao is terrific. Wheels on Meals, it's one of their best outings together, you know, the same kind of comedy and kind of slapstick martial arts, very impressive martial arts. It's a fun movie. They all are to a certain extent, right? Everything is, is from that yeah. movie is great. But that, that's my final pick. So for my final pick, it's, I actually, I was laughing when you were talking, just describing yours, because we have been talking about this martial arts, uh, doing martial arts film for some time. And before we decided to go with this scene, I was thinking, hey, what would my pick for like a martial arts film be? And similar to you, I had to go with a you know traditional martial arts film and i go with kind of my um my chicken soup martial arts film like when i'm feeling a little down or not too well what i like to put on is uh five deadly venoms and that's yes, my number one yes. yeah it's i love that film it's i don't know why it just you know it's something that you can kind of like uh you know especially when you know if you're not feeling good you know not only is it a good watch and it's fun to watch but it's one of those ones where I know so well, I could just kind of put on and just kind of, you know, just ease in and out of and just always just be, find something to watch and have fun with every single time I watch that film. It's, it's really great. I'd seen it before, like a years ago. And then a couple of years ago, you recommended it. We like had a discussion about it. And yeah, you're like, I, I kind of gave it like a really, a really, deep watch like i was really paying attention and like okay what am i going to talk about that and holy cow is that movie is that movie great it's so fun you know there's just it's just it's well done the fight scenes are memorable the settings are memorable it has that kind of like a like a who's who type of thing going on with it and you know it's um there, there, there's a couple of kind of like my chicken soup movies like i said whenever i don't know what to put on or i'm not feeling well i need a little bit of a emotional boost I go to five deadly venoms is one of them yeah that's it's perfect that's a really good one um yeah maybe maybe we come back and do that eventually and do I don't know some uh, one of the Gordon Liu film films like uh 36th chamber or something like that I am always up for that always up for that 
Hey, you know, I didn't know how old Gordon Liu was. I don't I just found out he's only 65 right now. So Whoa, I thought he was either, you know, I thought he was a lot older than that. Yeah, you know why? It's because of Kill Bill. Like Kill Bill, he's Pai Mei and he's playing the kind of like older role that would be like the the villain or the master in his films when he was younger. And so you think like, oh wow, he's just really old right now. But no, he was he was in his 40s when he did that. <laughs> wow. Well, if you think about it, you know, even like 20 years before that, that's, you know, that's when he was starring in like, you know, the Shaolin movies was like when he was like 18, 19. Then. Yeah. He seems older in those films to me. Yeah. Well, maybe we should do this matchup. Although, you know, honestly, I really do want to just like watch and talk about some Jackie Chan films. So maybe this will be a series. This is like part one. <laughs> of, <laughs> like, con continuing throughout the year, we'll be talking about some of our favorite martial arts films. You heard it here first. <laughs> nice. I am so up for that. All right. But yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, Zeke, it was great talking to you. I'm really looking forward to the next time. And it may not be martial arts, but we will do more martial arts this year. We so, will do something fun. Yes. Yeah. So thank you everybody for listening. If you are enjoying it, please rate, review, and subscribe. In fact, I'd like to just ask everybody right now. I don't, I, I'm not good at self-promotion, but if everybody could listening could just kind of go and rate it on whatever app you're listening to or on all the major ones. Um, you don't have to leave a review. It would be very nice if you did, but if anybody wants to just kind of rate and review, it does give me kind of an idea of what people are thinking. If anybody's paying attention out there um, and it helps the ratings, of course. So yeah, if you want to do that. Um, otherwise, you can follow me along on Twitter at TwoHeadedPod. It's the same for uh, Instagram at TwoHeadedPod. I haven't really been paying much attention to Instagram. It's all been Twitter lately. Um, but there's also that Facebook page if you want to look up the Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. We are just all over the place. If you want to look us up, you'll find us. Uh, but really, honestly, thank you for listening, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>